perhaps the most significant difference between the God of the Bible, this one that we worship and all other gods claimed in the world, is that our God communicates. Our God speaks. Quiet, be still. An idol. He's not watching from a distance as a passive observer. He speaks and creation happens. He speaks and humans are formed. He speaks and morality comes into existence and the fruit of God revealing his name to us is life for others, is truth revealed. Likewise, it's the words of Jesus and what he speaks as he walked the earth that demonstrated and show us his divinity, who he is as God's son. And so in the Gospels, Jesus spoke and sickness was banished and creation obeyed. Jesus spoke and declared the fulfillment of all things in himself and he opened the way through his body to approach God that we also might speak to God as he does. Jesus declared himself, using his words, to be the way, the truth and the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. And this word from Jesus is what sets us free to be able to come to God. And speak with him. And so we find that throughout the Bible, the fruit of God's lips, spoken and then recorded so that we can see it and come back to it and return to it, it reveals that God at his heart is good, that he is loving, that he is powerful, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's patient, that he always has a purpose, and perhaps most significant of all, that his word can always be trusted. And then God did something odd. In all the world, when God spoke and gave life to all the world, of all the billions of things he made, large and small, he made and chose to make one species who was capable of intelligent speech like him, but only one. One and only one. Have you noticed that? In all creation, only humans are capable of speech like God. Only humans. With our words, we can even command other creatures what to do and they respond to us. No animal can do that for another, but they will respond to a human voice. Likewise, we as humans, with our words, can shape the experience and lives of others, shaping emotions using our words and written words in song, in stories, in philosophy and poetry. Our words can create chaos. But they can also bring order out of chaos as our words organise people and change how people choose to live by what we speak. So government and education and commerce are all founded on intelligent words spoken clearly, carefully and fittingly. And likewise, we give life and help to others with our words to one another and, and with our lips, perhaps most scary of all, is we can bring despair to others. Our words can bring death and horror and discouragement and chaos into other people's lives entirely by what we say or by what we refuse to say. Well, human speech in this way, it sets us apart from everything else that God has made. And so it's only right to ask him who gave us this ability to, well, what did he give it to us for? What does he want us to do with it? 
And the ultimate answer to this question, unsurprisingly, is recorded for us in God's Word, where He has spoken and recorded so we can find it here in Hebrews chapter 13, where we are exhorted with these words. Again, I'm going to invite you to say it with me. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And this command regarding sacrifice is unique to the Christian. If we were to go back digging into the Old Testament, we find there that the Jews were instructed by God to offer a sacrifice of bulls, of sheep and goats and doves and, and grain offerings. We, we looked at some of that uh, in the last couple... No, we had confirmation here last week, didn't we? If you'd listened to the 10 a.m. sermon that Jim preached, you will have heard that spoken about last week. And here, for the Christian, different to the Jew... We're now called to continually offer to God a sacrifice, not of animals and things, but of, of praise. Praising God for who He is and what He's done for us in His Son. It's a sacrifice of praise, words of praise, declarations of praise, openly declaring our allegiance to God. I'm with Him, professing that Jesus is our King and that we are His people, proclaiming the Lordship of Christ over ourselves and for us, but also for others around us. Now, indeed, we use our bodies and our resources to worship God in all kinds of other ways, as the other verses in this chapter instruct us and describe, and we'll see more of that in the coming weeks. But when it comes to our mouths, when it comes to our mouths, this verse instructs Christians what acceptable worship should come from our lips, what it should sound like, how it should work in that way. And did you notice that Christ is, is totally central to this? Did you notice that? That if we're going to praise God at all, then we must do it through Jesus. That our praise is only acceptable to God if it comes through Christ Jesus. Only acceptable to God if it comes through Christ Jesus. But why Him? Why is He so important in this? Especially because we can speak, right? I know when I first came to know Jesus, first became a Christian at age 19, I found this whole through Jesus business very frustrating and awfully restrictive. It just felt odd. I mean, why can't my praise for God and what I determine to be, you know, suitable, acceptable praise to Him, why can't that be acceptable to God. If it's acceptable to me, why not to Him? I can speak like anyone else, so why not coming through me? And, and when I was asked by people why I wasn't at church on Sunday, praising God with other people, I, I would answer that, well, I was praising God in my work, and praising God in my sport and in my hobbies. I was praising Him in all of life, thank you very much. So I didn't need to be here in church it's acceptable to me, so why isn't that acceptable to God? And when I was at church, I was asked why I didn't sing and why I didn't take part in things like the confession prayer that we just had or, or other statements and, and responses that we were doing. You know, Michael, why, don't, why are you always silent when that's going on? Well, it's because I worship on the inside. And I think I said it like that too. Gee. <sighs> <sighs> I was praising on the inside. He didn't need to hear me speak words that someone else had determined I should say. 
So I thought. Now, at the time, I thought I was being super spiritual, and I definitely was looking down on everyone else. Definitely. I was claiming all of my life praise for God, and I wasn't ever going to conform to those religious, pretentious pretenders like church ministers who wanted me to praise God in ways that they determined rather than that I got to. Tad ironic now, isn't it? That's exactly what I thought. And, and looking back on those days, I've got to say, I'm really thankful for those ministers and those Christians who were around me at the time because, well, they didn't tell me what I was like. Because what I was like, it was just conceited brashness on show. It was self-centered immaturity is all it was. And they never said it, and I would have ignored them if they had. But praise God, they prayed for me and were gracious. And that over time, over time, some amount of time, slowly matured as a Christian to listen to God, to then praise Him His way rather than my way. But it, it wasn't their words or, or practices that changed me. At the end of the day, it was actually listening to God. Because we can listen to God, and we do that by hearing His Word in the Bible. So, in reading the Bible, this all came clear for me eventually. So, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, it took till I got to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. I got there, and reading across that book, there's various episodes there that showed me the importance of God's chosen mediator. The importance of God's chosen mediator. Rather than me as mediator... God's actually given one, and it straightened me out on this issue like no one's business. You see, among the numerous accounts there are across the book of Numbers, there's a whole bunch of different moments that occur through here where this plays out and God's mediator set up as Moses and Aaron at the time, and the people keep rebelling against God's chosen mediator. And so we finally get to chapter 16 and, well, a big one happens. This bloke called Korah starts a rebellion and Korah and his 250 mates get it going. And they declare that they're just as worthy and just as sincere to be able to praise God and mediate for themselves what their worship of God should look like and, and, and set aside God's chosen mediator. And the result of their contempt for God's instruction, the result of their contempt for God's provision, well, the ground swallowed up and took Korah and his entire family down into the depths of the earth and fire came out from the Lord and consumed his 250 followers and then because the people continued to rebel as they saw all this play out, a further 14,700 people were consumed by the plague as they continued the rebellion against God and what stopped it was when the chosen mediators... Moses and Aaron stepped in and spoke on their behalf, mediated between them and God. And his mercy stopped the plague. Now, add to that incident the golden calf and the multitude of other failures of Israel's kings and Judah's kings all preferring their own ways to follow God and set up their own practices and not to mention we go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden and we have well functionally 39 books of the Old Testament all of them one after another saying repeatedly that only through God's chosen mediator can humans approach God 
Only through him can they approach God. And every time they attempt anything else, it just goes bad. And friend, it's still true today. It's still true today. Nothing's actually changed. There's not many religions. There's not many paths. Yes, there are religions and there's lots of them, but there's not many. Well, actually, none of them are going to make it to God because they're not the ones that God has supplied. They're not his chosen mediator. There's not many mediators. There's, There's only one, and it's the one whom God himself has supplied. Anything else that we set up or think up, it's not functional, it won't make it, it won't get there because it's just not acceptable to God. It's like trying to turn the lights on in this place by thumping the wall. You go right ahead, give it a go, there's electricity in the wall. It'll work if you hit the switch. But there's only one switch. Well, God's supplied, just as the electrician supplied a switch to light this place up, God has supplied a chosen way to come to him, a mediator. And if that's the testimony of the Old Testament that only comes through his chosen mediator, well, who's the chosen mediator for us today? It's not Moses and Aaron. No, 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 we're not Jews, we're Christians. And what we have is the 27 books of the New Testament, all of them revealing flat out that he has given us his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be that chosen acceptable mediator. And there is no other. He proved it by raising him from the dead, seated at his right hand on high. And it's through Jesus that we bring all our concerns, hopes, dreams, all our praise to him. All things through him to the Father. And so we're told unequivocally in the Scriptures, we can only honour the Father by honouring the Son whom he has sent. There is no other way. There is no other way God will accept but through Jesus. And in the end, I guess that's why it's a sacrifice. It's funny in that verse, isn't it? Verse 15 there of of Hebrews 13. That it's a sacrifice to praise God through Jesus. That, that, That means that praising God His way is a sacrifice that's going to cost us something. It's a sacrifice to do it because it will cost us something in order to do so. And it will. There's just no way around it. There's, there's three costs that I can identify, anyone can identify very clearly, very quickly. Uh, the first of those I've already mentioned, the cost of pride. The cost of our pride, that it can't be our way, it's going to be his way. It costs me enormous pride to praise God his way and not my own. Humbled, yes, humiliated, definitely, when demonstrated that I just couldn't do it that my invented ways are not acceptable to God. I'm not the mediator. But more than that cost of pride, there's also the cost of time to praise God His way when we would possibly or probably use our time to do other things that we enjoy. Uh, This is the opportunity cost, the opportunity cost of praising God through Jesus. So before becoming a Christian at age 19, my Sunday was filled with a mixture of all kinds of things. Uh, boating, fishing, swimming, sleeping in till late, catching up on study work, playing competition, tennis, uh, working to gain extra money at penalty rates. Oh, that was so good. 
Sunday, double time, it was awesome. Maccas, thank you. Uh, parties with unbelieving friends, recovering from parties with unbelieving friends, uh, doing some shopping, uh, going to the football, catching a move, going to the football, yeah, go dragons! I could praise them, I didn't have to go and praise God. Much easier to praise them. Now I'm a Christian, on a Sunday, I rarely fit any of those things in. In fact, straight up, once I was converted, came to know Jesus, 50% of them had to go by the wayside straight away so I could gather and praise God through Jesus with his people in a church somewhere. And now I'm a vocational minister. Now it's my job. You were here earlier in the day. I was here at 8. I was here at 10. I was here the hours before and around that and, and so on. Well, now it's about 95% of those things just don't fit on a Sunday anymore. Now, once I retire or refresh, whatever the word is, it'll probably kick back somewhere around 50%. Maybe, we'll see. Find out when that happens. But they were opportunity costs. Now, those things weren't necessarily evil or bad. There was a lot of good things in amongst that. And that's what makes it a sacrifice. It's sacrificing good things in order to do the best thing. To do the best thing of praising God through Jesus with his people means we constantly need to sacrifice good things in order to do it. That's the opportunity cost of gathering with God's people and praising him the way he's called us to. And so it's weighing up now, isn't it? We've got pride, we've got opportunity cost, but we haven't hit the big one yet. The big one's the third one. More significant, more costly than both of those sacrifices is the cost of reproach. The cost of reproach. Uh, this is the sacrifice of our reputations as we bear the reproachful opinions of other people. It's as Jim unpacked for us last week in verse 12. Take your eyes back to it, verse 12 here where it says that Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make his people holy through his own blood. So verse 13, what does it mean for us? Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. Remember him mocked, beaten, spit, spat upon, beaten, crucified, disowned. The disgrace he bore. Where to do the same. And openly praising God through Jesus, as he himself did. Well, this is what will come our way. It's the cost of reputation with the gatekeepers of society and the mainstream tribes and people groups that we move amongst. Indeed, they may reject us. These people we want respect from probably won't respect us if we openly profess Jesus. And that's a fearful thing to do, isn't it? Because we wonder, what will they think of me if they find out I'm a Christian? What will they say about me if they hear me profess Jesus' name and defend his honour? And it's true about the people widely around us, but it's also true about people in our own families. Those of you who are parents who are raising children, what about your children's opinion of you? I can tell you it bites when we restrict their ambitions and preferences because it interferes with learning to praise God at church with his people. And what they think about us and say about us in those moments will cost us something. 
And likewise, if you're young and you have parents, and I don't want to be where you are right now, Mum, Dad, because I want to go and praise God. Or your boss, friends, sporting teams, and so on and so forth. What they think of us in these moments will cost us something if we openly profess Christ. There's enormous relational sacrifice in those moments, isn't there? And it's a sacrifice that many refuse to bear. It's been said that hell is full of people who care too much about what others would think or say of them. Hmm. Hell is full of people who care too much what their friends thought or would say about them. Now, I don't know that that's true. But I do know what is true, is that heaven will definitely be full of those who praise God through Jesus and who do bear the reproach that he bore. Because that's what it will be to follow him. Make no mistake about it, there is a cost to following Christ as Lord. Yes, there's an enduring city to which we're looking forward to and which we will indeed come to. Verse 14, our enduring city is not here. We're looking for the city that is to come. That day will come, but while we wait for that day, it will be a sacrifice of our pride, of opportunity, and also this cost of reproach. Sacrificing that we might praise Jesus acceptably and bring that praise to God is a sacrifice and it always will be. Now the good news is the enduring city is to come and the better news is is we get to do it together while we wait because indeed we do. And you're here, I'm here, that's what we're here to think about as well how can we follow Jesus together? How can we identify with him? Well, that's what we're doing. So let's think about that. What does it look like? What does God want it to look like? What should it look like for us to then openly profess, use our lips to praise our God through Jesus? Well, it takes place in two places. It happens inside and outside the church. That's where It happens both inside and outside the church. Outside of our time here together tonight, outside of here there's going to be another 167, maybe 166 hours of the week that we're not going to be gathered together. And outside of that time, well, we're professing Jesus openly. That's what happens when we speak about him outside the church. And we share our love for Jesus with others. Openly praising Jesus in public outside the church, well, that's actually called evangelism. That's what it is. Declaring He is the only name in heaven and earth by which we can be saved and know that we are saved and that others also can be saved and inviting them to put their trust in Him also, well, that's, that's actually what evangelism is. And at its base level, that's all it is. Openly sharing the good news of what we've got in Jesus and saying, hey, I know this guy, come and get to know him. Let me tell you what he's like, he's amazing. Let me tell you what he's done for me. It's amazing, he, you should get to know him. 
Now, certainly others can do what they like with, it, with that information, but for us as Christians, it's two things. It is acceptable worship and it is evangelism simultaneously, which means evangelism is simply us overflowing our praise to other people, our praise of Jesus to them, overflowing the grace and love of Jesus into the northern Illawarra. As we speak, it's both a glorious act of worship and it's also a very kind thing to do as we praise Jesus' name to others, that might, they might get to know him too. And of course, it also happens not just outside the church in those other 167 or so hours, it also happens here when we gathered inside the church together. And so praising Jesus together openly inside the church, well, it's not evangelism now, it's discipleship. It's discipleship. It's what it is. So when we gather each week, we gather to speak a whole bunch of things together. You're not here as a passive audience, you're active. And you know that because we've already got you to do a bunch of things that do engage you in professing His name. So we said a confession prayer together earlier, didn't we? And we got you singing earlier. And later on, we're going to have the chance to declare what it is that we believe about our God. We are going to declare our faith to one another. And we'll we'll sing again. There's praises, all kinds of things that we're going to do. And each of these things is us declaring who we are. And that encourages others as well around us, discipling them too. Now, we'll also have opportunity to do that tonight over, over dinner together. An extended opportunity to talk about these things, to praise God to one another. So here's your question. Over dinner tonight, what has Jesus done for you lately? What's he done for you? What, what evidence of grace can you... What, what, what things has he done in the last week that you're pretty happy about that you can tell someone else? Ask that question and be ready to answer it because they'll ask it back. What's Jesus done for you lately? And encourage each other with those amazing stories because there's always lots of things to whinge about, isn't there? There's always lots of stuff to groan about. But what if we had something to praise Him for? Rejoice in Him and encourage one another with that news because some of us have pretty tough weeks and we need encouragement while we wait for that enduring city that is to come. We can do that. We've got that opportunity both formally as we do this and informally as we meet afterwards. But in the meantime, the most marvellous way we do this is as we praise God together in song. The most marvellous way we praise God is when we do this together in sing, singing. That's the most one. It's the best one. And when we do this, rather than just listening to music or having someone perform for us in our entertainment, we Christians gather together and we sing, don't we? We sing of God together. We profess the Lordship of Jesus openly as we open our mouths and declare it to one another and amongst one another. And it's one of the most wonderful things we do. Now, we're going to do this for all eternity. So treat this as the practice lesson, if you like. We're just having a go while we're getting ready for what's to come. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. So let's get ready for it. But in the meantime, it's not only important for our relationship with Him as we openly profess our name. It's it's important for our relationship with each other. Because by this also, even as we sing, we encourage one another in amazing ways. A minister I once met uh, wrote about this in a book that he called Reverberation, writing of his own experience in his church. Jonathan Lehman, I'm going to read to you what he wrote because he just nails this. It's amazing. So, when the singing begins, he's in church, I'm looking around at the congregation in joy as I behold God's people praising God. 
Some have their eyes open, some are closed, some hands up, others hands down. But really their posture is not the point. The point is that I know of many of their struggles and joys and now I have a front row seat as I watch them pour out their born-again hearts to their comforter and rock in the midst of those struggles and joys. And so we're singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I see a woman recently assaulted sing with all her might of a safeguard, never failing. And we're singing, It is well with my soul. And I see a brother who struggles with discouragement in his fight against sinful anger, raise his voice and shout, My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. We're singing the words of in Christ alone. And I see a talented mother who's tempted to regret what she's given up to have children. Find new ambition as she sings. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. And as I sing along with these other saints in the congregation, my own praises to God are strengthened by the stories and songs of others. My faith is invigorated and enlarged by his work in them as they sing. Oh, that's right, isn't it? That is so spot on. As we know each other, as we walk with each other, as we share what's going on in our lives and how God's at work in us, when we praise God in song together, yes, we're praising God to God, but we're also praising God to one another. And long may it be so. In the midst of our messy brokenness, we do this. No wonder God wired us in such a way that music touches our hearts, our emotions as it comes out of our mouths and our affections in exquisite ways. And it's only right for us to make use of this amazing gift to sing his praises and encourage one another as we do it together. Our heads, our hearts, our mouths, all engaged in the same task at the same time brings amazing heartfelt encouragement to everyone who's present. Uh, Depending upon how we sing. (laughs) It is a little bit depending on how we sing, isn't it? Yeah, I've noticed that too. See, as Christians, it's right for us to fully and enthusiastically engage in singing church for the praise of God and the the encouragement of others. And I say that because in all our experience, there is precious little that is more discouraging to our faith, more deadening to our faith than dreary singing that emanates from half-dead Christians. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. All praise. Yeah, whatever. So discouraging, isn't it? And yet there's little more encouraging when together enthusiastically, even if not tunefully, it doesn't matter, there's some quality singers amongst us. We sing praise of God to one another. So remember, the fruit of our lips, what we declare, displays what we think of God. The fruit of our lips declares and displays our heart and what we think of our God. And it declares and displays the condition of our heart and it also improves the condition of our hearts as we do this. And when the fruit of our lips is praise of God, then our identity is reinforced, his people are encouraged, and the lost 
get to hear about him at last with praise that is full of delight. The best way for them to hear about him. So let's be those kind of Christians who go to Jesus outside the city, bearing the disgrace he bore, and through him let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And as we do, may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I got an idea. You want to sing? Let's do that. Almost feels like there's a little bit more pressure now <laughs> to do a good job of it. But it's so true, isn't it? It's so true, isn't it? We are. We are standing here praising God, but we are praising God to each other as well. And it is a, our posture isn't everything, but you know that our heart is everything. Uh, what God's looking for, and so let's 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 sing um, with full hearts in in praising and, and honouring God now. Come and stand before your Maker, full of wonderful love here. Come behold His power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. For the One who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. Rejoice! Come and lift your of your King, and with trembling rejoice. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness, walk with sacrificial love, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the perfections of a Father. We will never let them go. Rejoice. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your King. Love sickness, all of sorrows, Jesus carried up the hill. He has walked this path before us, He is walking with us still. Turning tragedy to triumph, turning agony to praise. There is blessing in the battle, so take heart and stand amazed. Rejoice! When you cry to Him, He hears your voice. 
He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice in the midst of suffering. He will help you sing. Rejoice. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your King and with trembling rejoice. Down, have a seat. Please be seated. So good to sing together. And if I can promo the front row, if you're in the front row, you get to hear everyone sing, and you also get to be near Michael, whose voice covers a multitude of wrong notes from me. So there's a shout out for the front row if anyone needs one. I don't know if you heard it at the beginning of what uh, Michael was, was saying there from Hebrews 13, one of the first things he said was that our God speaks, our God communicates. And what we're about to do now is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper, it's, it's where God has spoken His good news to us. He has spoke. Come on in, kids, grab a seat. Uh, God has spoken His word to us. He has spoken the gospel story to us. And what's happening in, in the Lord's Supper is that we are physically acting out our trust in Him. And so you can think of this as this is truth that you can touch. And as we eat and we drink, we are spiritually nourished as God feeds us by faith. And the Lord's Supper, it's the great fulfillment of the Passover. Do you remember in Exodus in the Old Testament where there's the lamb that was slain, sacrificed for God's people in every household? Tonight, we remember Christ. He's our Passover lamb. Christ is the Lamb of God. His body was broken. His blood was spilled so that God's judgment would pass over us and that we would be brought to new life in Him. And I want to tell you uh, three things that we believe about the Lord's Supper. Uh, The first is that we believe that children are welcome at God's table, that they are welcome. And so, parents, please, however you think uh, works best for you, please include your children in this. Secondly, we believe that as we eat and drink this meal, that we do it all together because we're expressing the unity that we have as God's people in the Spirit. And so, when you've got your wine and your bread, please hold off, refrain from eating it, so we can do that all together to express that. And thirdly, we believe that this is a meal for Christians. And so, if you're not yet at a point in, in your faith journey where you can say, yes, Jesus is my only hope in life and in death, He is Lord, then please refrain from taking the Lord's Supper tonight and, and listen and, and watch to what's occurring. But if, uh, if you would like to, please also speak to me or to Michael or someone else about what it would look like for you to be ready to do this with us when we do this next month. But for those of us who are ready, let's celebrate this meal together with both a heartfelt repentance and a genuine trust in the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to say what it is we believe about Christ. Would everyone want to stand up and we'll say this together? It's the affirmation of faith. Together, with all Christians everywhere, we believe in one God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, The Father who made everything sent His Son, Jesus, down the cross for our sins. Jesus rose again as Lord of all, 
and will return in glory to judge and to save. God sent his Holy Spirit to live in us that we might grow more like Jesus. We belong to the church, God's family everywhere. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I have a helper, Harper. Harper the helper, come on down. Oh, nice work. Get a bit of support here for it. Now, Harper, here's a microphone. I believe you might have a couple of questions for me. Is that true? Go for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why is this meal different from other meals? This meal that we're about to have, it's different from other meals because this meal, it reminds us of Jesus. It reminds us that we were once slaves to sin, but God has saved us.